Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom, I'm Dr. Noreen Jacks. Thank you for tuning in to Bible Interact Presents today. I want to speak to you for a few moments about Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness, which is, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating subjects in all of Scripture. The tabernacle marks the embryonic origin of the nation of Israel that descended from the great patriarch Abraham. The Hebrews, or Israelites as they were later known, were called to be the chosen people of God. They were elected by God himself to be the guardians of his sacred word and the guardians of his ways. What an awesome privilege he gave to the Jewish people. Imagine to be a guardian of the word of God. These unique people were destined to become wholly dedicated to the one who delivered them from their wicked Egyptian taskmasters. The tabernacle became the focus of sacrifice and worship in the desert, the very means by which sinful man was restored to a holy God. The story of the tabernacle is the account of God's interaction with this unique group of sojourners who met their creator in the wilderness of Sinai through the intercession of the great mediator and lawgiver, Moses. The term tabernacle comes from the Latin tabernaculum, meaning a tent, a hut, or a booth. A tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place. Interestingly, we see the Greek form of the word in the following passage of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 3, that proclaims that the presence of God is now within man. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their people. The Greek term for dwell in this passage is skene, and it means a tent or a tabernacle. Long before our Lord tabernacled in the womb of his mother Mary, and long before he tabernacled within the hearts of redeemed man, he tabernacled among his people in a portable desert dwelling known as Moses' tabernacle. In actuality, it was God's tabernacle. God's dwelling place. There is much to be learned about the character of God and his future plan of redemption for humanity from the many types and shadows that prevail throughout the Hebrew scriptures, particularly in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses' tabernacle, I believe, is a subject that has been ignored or bypassed by much of the church, yet it is most worthy of serious study. As we educate ourselves about the earthly dwelling place of Almighty God, we will meet Him in a new and more powerful dimension. And I hope to whet your appetite somewhat this today uh, for you to get in and do a, a more intense study on your own. It's a fascinating topic. 
let's talk about the meanings of types and shadows. Uh, we read about types and shadows um, and what exactly is meant by these terms. The Greek word type is tapos, which is found in the New Testament. The word means a sampler, a resemblance, a model for imitation, a figure, a form, or a pattern. A type refers to that which prefigures something greater than itself, something that will appear at a future date. Biblical types, which may be a person, an event, an object, or a ritual, are generally found in the Hebrew Scriptures, particularly in the Torah. The vastly superior antitype or archetype, which is typical fulfillment, appears often in the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Paul acknowledged Adam as a type of Yeshua, the inferior preceding the superior. Well, now we see this word or this concept in Romans chapter 5 verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. A type is a kind of a shadow. Webster defines shadow as an imperfect mirrored image, a reflection, something without reality or substance, a vague indication, an omen, prefiguration, a faint suggestion or appearance, something that is vaguely mystical or prophetic. So types and shadows point to something of substance. They are not the substance in and of themselves. In the Hebrew scriptures, a type always points to the reality of Yeshua or some wondrous aspect of his redemptive work. It is also important to note that shadows flee as dawn breaks forth and morning light reveals the substance. In this case, the substance is Yeshua, the perfect, blameless Lamb of God who suffered and died and was resurrected to become the Savior of the world. In John chapter 1 verse 29 we read, The next day he saw Jesus coming, and in the words of John the Baptist he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All the sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament sacrificial system pointed to Jesus Christ who would one day become the Lamb of God. Now we see the use of the term shadow in the following passage in Hebrew 10 verse 1. Um, this is a Greek term. The term for shadow is skia. For the law, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. I really pray that a study of Moses Tabernacle that I'm I'm just giving you a, a little preview of today, uh, that you'll get into it for yourself because it will deepen your understanding of the prophetic ritual of the Hebrew scriptures and draw you closer to God as you first meet him in types and shadows and then in the living, breathing reality of the Son of God. You'll find a study of the tabernacle is a great adventure. Uh, first of all, well, there was a problem with man. Adam and Eve 
had broken fellowship with Almighty God. And because of that broken fellowship, all their descendants were also in broken fellowship. And God desired to have a dwelling place among his people. But in order to dwell among his people, there had to be a reconciliation between God and man. Let me tell you a funny little story that happened with my precocious little grandson who was six years old at the time. He was thumbing through his Bible in search of a bedtime story. And he asked me, all of a sudden, out of a clear blue sky, how could Adam and Eve not know they were naked? Wow, what a question! How would you respond to a question as such as this from a six-year-old? Well, as you can imagine, our Bible reading that night began in Genesis as I shared with him how Adam and Eve became aware of their nakedness when sin entered their lives. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I ate. Well, with innocence lost, Adam and Eve attempted to cover themselves with a few strategically placed sin leaves fig leaves and I call this the folly of the fig leaves Adam hid himself from God because he was fearful and naked from that fateful moment onward man has needed atonement for sin in order to restore intimacy with the Almighty the substitutionary animal skins that God provided for Adam and Eve shrieked of the innocent blood that was shed to cover their sins and of course this was prophetic of the blood of Yeshua that would one day cover their sins. Now, Moses' tabernacle was the means God used to initiate man's redemption. It was the place, the one and only place on earth, where the manifest presence of God dwelt in a physical manner. In a manner, in a manifest state, that it was manifested in a way in which they could see through the fiery pillar and in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. The word dwell in Hebrew is shachan, which means to settle down, abide, tabernacle, reside, establish, remain, or lodge. Interestingly, the term comes from the root word shkinah, which is the manifest glory of God that dwelt between the cherubim, or the Hebrew term would be cherubim, above the mercy seat in the tabernacle, and later in the temple. The word Shekinah that I mentioned is spelled S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H. It has numerous spellings, and most people in English pronounce it as Shekinah, in case you're not aware of what word I was saying. The Shekinah, I believe, is the Hebrew pronunciation. 
The earthly tabernacle was God's method of redirecting man's path to righteousness, the means by which the two could be reconciled as man walked humbly through the one and only gate of entrance to the outer court, stopping at the brazen altar of bloody sacrifice and then moving on to the cleansing laver. From there the worshiper proceeded to the inner court where he was bathed in the glowing light of the candlestick known as the menorah, which was the only light source in the inner court. The golden table of showbread with twelve loaves of bread representing the twelve tribes of Israel stood on the north side of the inner court and incense perfumed the court as its placing aroma was offered twice daily from the altar of incense by a specially chosen priest. The altar stood directly in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, where the sacred ark of the covenant and the mercy seat rested. Together, the seven articles of furnishings prophesy the wondrous story of salvation through our Lord Yeshua. The purpose and symbolism of the seven articles and the veil um, are fascinating subjects, and I pray that you will pursue this on your own. The number seven speaks of perfection and completion in the Bible. God's earthly dwelling place was indeed perfect for his holy purpose. In fact, the earthly tabernacle was a copy or a type or shadow of the heavenly pattern of which we read about in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 4 and 5. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown on you uh, to you on the mountain. Now there's no mention of a seat in Moses' tabernacle, no place at all for a weary priest to rest during the course of duty. By contrast, Yeshua, our great, our mighty high priest, Kohen Hagadol in Hebrew, was seated at the right hand of his father when he returned to heaven following his resurrection from the grave. With his redemptive work accomplished at last, he was finally able to sit and claim his much-deserved rest. The priest in the tabernacle and later in the temple knew no such luxury because their work was never completed. The sacrificial system provided only temporary atonement for sin, meaning the sacred offerings had to be repeated in an endless cycle until Messiah came in the fullness of time. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. God Almighty was the architect of the tabernacle, and man followed his precise instructions to create an earthly dwelling place in the image of the heavenly pattern that was described in Exodus 25, verse 9. 
Um, Amar Dehan, MD, who is a Bible teacher and author of numerous books, including The Tabernacle, makes a very interesting quote that I want to share with you right now. <clears throat> he says, The only building ever constructed upon this earth, which was perfect from the very beginning and outset in every detail, and never again needed attention, addition, or, or alteration, was the tabernacle in the wilderness. The blueprint, the pattern, and the plan, the design, and all of the specifications were minutely made in heaven, committed unto Moses for the children of Israel while he was in the mountain. Shortly after their deliverance from Egypt, every single detail was designed by Almighty God, and every part had a prophetic, redemptive, and typical significance. There is no portion of scripture richer in meaning, more perfect in its teaching of the plan of redemption, than this divinely designed building. Praise God. Well said. It's also been said that God created a dwelling place for man in three chapters in the Bible, but it took man 50 chapters of instruction to create a suitable dwelling place for God. It's even more amazing that a dwelling place suitable for divine habitation could be constructed on earth. As I said, the tabernacle was a mere portable tent, and it was the temporary dwelling place of God until the tabernacle, until the temple rather, was constructed many years later during the reign of King Solomon. The tabernacle served its purpose during the 40-year wilderness sojourn of the Hebrews and later at Shiloh where it rested for 369 years. The tabernacle was constructed in three sections. There was the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. The number three symbolizes divine perfection and it's also the number of the Godhead. And we see another trinity in the born-again child of God who has been created in the image of God with a body, soul, and spirit. One could say that the redeemed of the Lord are the Ark of the Covenant today because they bear the presence of Almighty God within. If you are a born-again child of God, that means this presence of God, the Spirit of God lives within you. And for all practical purposes, we can say that you and I are the Ark of the Covenant today. Praise the Lord. The tabernacle was a place of unveiling the character and the purposes of God to his chosen people. It revealed the holiness of God. It was the appointed place of redemption for repentant sinners. The divinely ordained ritual was the only way in which sinful man could be reconciled with God. This is amazing, as, as man would approach the Almighty step by step, beginning at the one and only entrance to the courtyard, where he came face to face with the altar of sacrifice, came face to face with the ugliness of sin, and then the New Testament reality that the wages of sin is death, as recorded in Romans 6.23. Then prayerfully, very slowly, reverently, fearfully, the high priest of Israel on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, made his way to the Holy of Holies, the place where his sins were covered with the sacrificial blood of an innocent animal, paying the price for his transgressions and the transgressions of the nation. Even so, 
all of the tabernacle and temple pomp and circumstance, ritual and regulations, afforded the condemned sinner only temporary absolution. Full redemption awaited messianic mediation that would occur many years later on Calvary's cross. Hebrews 9 verses 9 to 14 discusses this quote the Holy Spirit is signifying this that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing which is a symbol for the present time accordingly both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and far more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and though not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I encourage you to read that passage again for yourself and meditate on it. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 9 through 14. Hallelujah. When Moses returned from his initial mountaintop experience on Mount Sinai, where he received the Ten Commandments, he encountered gross debauchery and idolatry in the Israelite camp below. The very people who had miraculously passed through the Sea of Reeds on dry land and witnessed Yahweh's deliverance from the ensuing Egyptian military were seen cavorting like pagans. They were worse than the pagans, breaking the very commandments Moses held in his hands. This is recorded in Exodus chapter 32. Fortunately for the Hebrew sojourners, Moses also had in his possession the blueprint for the tabernacle. Hallelujah! A way of redemption would soon be possible for repentant hearts as the covenant with Yahweh was renewed. This is all recorded in Exodus chapter 34 verses 10 through 28. And when this we see the hand of a merciful God. There are various names for the tabernacle, and I'll list them for you now so that you're aware of them when you read them in the scriptures. They all refer, refer to the same portable tent of worship that the Israelites carried through the desert during their 40 years of wandering. It's also known as the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was called the house of blood because of the many blood sacrifices that were offered in that place. It was referred to as the sanctuary, meaning it was a holy place. It was known as the tabernacle of the congregation, as the tabernacle of the Lord, as the tabernacle of the testimony, was known as the tabernacle of the witness, was known as the house of God because the Shekinah presence of Almighty God dwelt within, and it was known as the tent of meeting. It was the meeting place between God and man, the point of rendezvous. 
Now, many people have asked me, why study Moses' tabernacle? Why is it important for Christians, since it was Old Testament ritual, and the redeemed are now part of a much better covenant? To them, I say the following. It is important to study Moses' tabernacle, because it is part of the inspired Word of God. It's important to study it because it's part of the law of Moses. It's important because it presents a prophetic picture of Yeshua's redemptive work. And I cannot emphasize that enough. It's important because it's a representation of the heavenly tabernacle. It's prophetic of the church. As I said, it was a rendezvous point for the children of God. It's important because the law was a shadow of things to come. It points us to the reality. And because the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Yeshua. Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Hallelujah. In the words of Bible teacher and author on this subject, Kevin Connor, I quote, One has to trace the shadow with light before you arrive at the substance. If one turns his back on the light, then one gets lost in the shadow, getting farther away from the realities. That is very true. I have to ask you, what does the Word of God mean to you? I encourage you to get into it, to dig into it. It's a treasure like digging for gold, like digging for precious gems. But precious gems don't pop up out of the earth. They require much time, much energy, oftentimes danger and risk. But when you get into the Word of God deeply for yourself, it will transform your life and draw you closer to the Almighty. Thank you for joining me for today's broadcast, and I hope we will meet again soon. Until then, I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Shalom.